This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Kim Mikes, CEO of Hoke Orthopedic Institute in California. Kim, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. Well, I know we've got a great discussion ahead of us, but before we dive into our questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, I'm happy to. My, uh, I'm currently the CEO, as you mentioned, of Hoke Orthopedic Institute, which, uh, and for those who are unaware, we're an orthopedic and spine specialty hospital and ambulatory surgery center network in Orange County and LA County in Southern California. We, um, my background is, and you know, when anyone asks me what I am, I always say I'm an OR nurse because that was how I started my career. And I actually have uh, been in healthcare for over 25 years in successive uh, leadership type positions, going from an OR nurse to um, OR director roles in both general acute care hospitals and some uh, specialty hospitals like the one I currently um, engage with. I also um, I also have an MBA that I you know gotten went back to school and got an MBA several years ago, uh, recognizing that you know in that healthcare truly is a business and that it would be it would benefit me to have that as part of my arsenal um, as I uh, moved up. And so I, and I actually believe that it's uh, yeah, probably one of the more important um, aspects of my career that I'm able to look at issues from a both clinical and business standpoint. You know, when, when decisions need to be made, it's nice to be able to look at it through both lenses because um, it allows you to really take the patient into consideration as well as the business considerations. And I think that's important, obviously. Um, I came to Hogue Orthopedic Institute actually in 2016 as the chief nursing officer and chief operating officer. And uh, last year uh, when the previous CEO left, I, I stepped into that role. So I've been in the role now about a year. Got it. That's such an interesting career path, you know, starting out as the OR nurse and then realizing that, you know, healthcare is a business and having that MBA would be useful and then jumping into, you know, the administrative side of things in your current role. What an interesting career trajectory. Was there a moment when you kind of realized that business aspect of healthcare? What was that like? Or was it more of an evolutionary process of everything you had witnessed and seen and decided that, hey, you wanted to be on the business side of it um, in addition to the experience you had on the clinical care side? I, I think that it always, you know, I, I interestingly, um, in the very first job I had, I moved into a manager role relatively quickly, um, even as an, a brand new nurse. And so, and I've always not, I've always had what I would consider sort of a, uh, intuition, if you will, or just, I'm just lodged, I think logically in a business type way, but I do believe that, um, it lends being a woman. Um, it does lend credibility to your uh, interactions with the finance people at the organizational level when you can speak the language of finance and you absolutely understand all of the, you know, the behind the scenes accounting and cost accounting and how they come up with what they do for costs per case, et cetera. And so I think um, that it just, again, gives you more credibility in the system and especially, and then not only with the finance team, but then when you have the clinical side of it, 
I, I also speak the language of the surgeons because I know what they're talking about when they have a particular issue that is arising with an implant or an operating room procedure that's problematic. So I, I believe that it um, gives me credibility with both the clinical leaders as well as the finance team. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point and so helpful to know and think about, especially for those who are in the beginning stages of that journey into the administrative side of healthcare and really understanding what it takes to, to rise to the top. Now, what are the two or three most interesting trends that you're following in healthcare today? Well, for sure, in the, since we're talking about the ambulatory surgery center arena, uh, two, one of the primary ones right now is the big shift of larger procedures that have historically been done in the hospital setting to the ASC. And, and uh, mostly uh, that's around total joints and spine. So, um, you know, that's happening all over the country. And, uh, but I would say that many ambulatory surgery centers aren't well, cons uh, how would I put it? They're not built. Um, to actually accommodate those as well as they could because many have smaller operating rooms. They may not have capacity for an overnight stay. And honestly, for those types of procedures, you need um, larger sterile processing capacity. So, so that is one of the reasons why we currently are remodeling one of our ambulatory surgery centers to better accommodate those types of procedures. And, and that remodel includes, uh, it includes the extent enlargement of two of the rooms to get them. It's nice that they can be at least 500 square feet up to as many as much as 600 square feet. And then also expanding the sterile processing capacity because uh, processing trays associated with a total joint is much more, there are many more trays than if you're just doing an appendectomy or tonsillectomy or something of that nature, or even carpal tunnel. So it's, it's important to be able to have space. We also, are um, building uh, two new surgery centers, both of which are able to accommodate spine and total joint. One has a primary spine focus, the other has a primary total joint focus. So we have four, four current surgery centers, two in development, and the two in development are absolutely focused on those types of procedures. So that's definitely something that we're thinking about and something that I'm watching in the, as a trend. Uh, secondly, a second trend that I'm watching are the innovations in technology. There's a lot um, going on in the, in the area of robotics, smart implants, navigation, uh, even virtual reality, which is like the new, the new disruptor that's coming down the pike. We at, at Hogarth Beat Institute always consider the value equation when we're adopting new technologies because uh, it's always important to be conscious of providing value in healthcare. So we always need to make sure that when we adopt new technologies, that they are either you know, improving outcomes, um, improving safety, adding value somehow, and that they're not just adding cost to the procedure. Uh, sometimes new technologies can actually decrease cost as well um, if they can lead to increased efficiencies or you know, perhaps uh, reduce the, the number of implants needed, or excuse me, number of trays needed in a procedure, because that, you know, that can add value too. But you always have to look at all of the factors before adopting these new technologies. There are even new smart implants 
where you can put these little chips in the knee to measure, you know, measure flexion and extension and activity levels. So there's all kinds of things going on uh, to watch in that regard. Wow, that is amazing oh, I, to think about just the chip of the knee that could tell you all that information. Yes, yes. And then you, they have the, you know, a watch, you know, Apple watch with, you know, they have different technology where that information can go to a smartphone or even a watch, a smartwatch. So, and, and then it can be uh, transmitted also to the physician's office so they can actually know that their patient postoperatively is doing, you know, is, is, is exercising at the level they need to and making sure that they are meeting the goals that were set for them postoperatively. Got it. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about some of the growth and expansion within the surgery center, especially um, in, in seeing the total joints and the more complex pre procedures going to the outpatient center, while also looking at the technology side of things, all the opportunities for potentially increasing the value of a, a procedure um, and, and keeping the costs in mind. When you look at everything as a whole, it seems like there's a lot of exciting things going on right now. What do you really see as being um, something that, you know, really is um, exciting, I guess, for the ASC industry. I know there's a lot of challenges, but how have you been able to manage that and really manage to grow the ASCs versus kind of um, getting caught up in a lot of the challenging situations that are happening in the healthcare space today? Well, with some of the, some of the challenges, you know, that have been presented by COVID um, are not as um, apparent in the ASC setting or even in the specialty hospital setting that we have. We're in, again, an orthopedic specialty hospital and, AS, and ASC network. So we have not had those same COVID challenges. We also have the, the good fortune, I guess you might say, of having staff members who are dedicated uh, professionals who as part of a multidisciplinary team who care for the patients in this specialty environment um, have demonstrated a lot of loyalty when many other healthcare systems have been challenged with staffing. That has been, that is probably one of the, the number one concerns right now in the healthcare arena is staffing. And so uh, we've been very fortunate in that regard. Uh, also, I think, I believe that the current Current climate in healthcare lends itself toward consumerism to a great degree, where you know patients have a choice, and they're going to decide where they go. And and honestly, a healthcare, an, excuse me, an ambulatory surgery center is, is like a, many times a more oh, it's a more pleasant experience. It's a smaller environment. It may feel safer to patients because you're not in a in a large hospital where you have six people, quote, six people. And so um, it lent, that's another, um, another benefit to the ASC environment in the current climate. Got it. That it's great to hear. Now, how do you see some of the payer trends and contracts changing in the next few years? Well, there's a, there's always, you know, there's the network's tend to be narrowing. So a lot of times, um, you know, people are getting caught into to certain networks. So you see that going on right now. But um, 
And there's also a focus on bundled payments. We already have, we have many uh, bundled payment arrangements with payers where you manage a patient through a 30-day or 90-day episode of care. And, um, you know, we, we get paid a certain amount and we take care of all of the care during that time period. Um, but there's a new trend of having condition, condition-based bundles. What, we, what we're doing primarily are procedure-based bundles. But condition-based bundles are a new trend where you would manage a patient from the time they're diagnosed, have a diagnosis of, for example, osteoarthritis, you know, maybe of the knee, of the hip, whatever it might be. And then you manage them either conservatively or non-operatively or operatively, but you manage them for maybe six to 12 months um, through that condition. So that's a, that's a new trend that's getting a lot of um, attention. Um, and, and then one of the other things that's obviously important in this payer, you know, payer environment is that you need to always make sure to differentiate yourself in the market and make sure that you play upon uh, what makes you what makes you stand out from a patient experience. And again, that goes back to our specialty designation and expertise. Anytime you are specialized in one thing, if you do something every day, all the time, and everybody is doing a couple of things all the time, they become experts. And the more you do of anything, it's just a logical, you know, the higher volume, the more you do, the better you get at it. So outcomes improve uh, and all of that quality improves. Uh, there's also another uh, payer a trend that's, you know, one that's happening is direct to employer where you don't go to the insurance company more. You just contract directly with employers. With In that regard, uh, you have to just be mindful that if the, if the employer is not incentivizing employees uh, in the right way, you, that those types of plans might not be as successful because they need to make sure that they are being driven to, to the center of excellence or, or whatever designation you have as a part of that type of arrangement. Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense in, in really looking at everything across the board from um, the narrowing networks to moving more towards bundle payments and other risk-based care. And then really looking at new opportunities to differentiate yourself and really become a patient destination, if that makes sense, with the employer contracts as well. Um, so interesting to hear. One, and one other way that we, you know, one, one thing that unique, I would say, about our organization is that we are partially physician-owned, and so we have a scenario where we have physicians who own a hospital, and they own surgery centers, and so, and we are starting to obtain some site-neutral contracts, meaning we will get paid the same amount regardless of whether a patient's total hip or total knee, whatever it might be, is done in the hospital or the surgery center which allows us the, the uh, benefit of taking, um, there is no financial incentive for us to do a patient in one setting versus the other. Uh, so what happens is the decision is made solely on the basis of the patient's need. So if a patient would, better be, would be better served in the hospital, maybe because they have some comorbid conditions that 
might dictate a longer length of stay or additional you know, care, that's where they would, that procedure would happen. If, if not, if they're relatively healthy and there's no expected concerns, they might go to the ASC. That is not the case in most other, uh, you know, situations. There might be, there are places where physicians only own in ASCs, but not in hospitals. And there might be in some ways perverse financial incentives to perhaps take a patient to a surgery center who would be better off at the hospital. We have that, uh, that is something that differentiates us as well is that we do not have that, um, that situation. It's uh, with site neutral agreements, we, we absolutely can personalize the site to the patient. That sounds truly ideal in terms of having that opportunity for the clinician, the patient really to decide the best place for their care to take place, if that makes sense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we wrap up our conversation, I'm just wondering if you could share with us some of your top advice for ASC administrators to build a great culture of sustained success at their facilities. Yes, I think that again, as I had mentioned earlier, the I, I believe that the I again, as I had mentioned, I believe that the um, the number one priority for all healthcare administrators is staff engagement and retention. It, it is it is critical right now, and many many organizations are again very challenged with that. We have again have been fortunate, but it is it's not as simple as or as easy as it used to be. So, I I believe that the best way to ensure that you don't run into those sorts of issues is to make sure that you treat your staff the staff members as part of the team, and that they and they feel that they are part of the multi multidisciplinary team that is you know, charged with taking care of these patients, that they're part of, they have a voice in how the operations run, they're part of the decision-making, and that they feel valued and respected by both the leadership and the physicians. It's important that they feel that way with the physicians too. If they, if, if, if a individual feels that they're part of a team, especially a high-performing team, and they feel valued by those they're working with, they will be loyal and, um, I'll be committed to the organization. And so I think that that's the best thing that, that can be done is to really invest in good leaders who, who will promote that kind of an environment and make sure that, that physicians are held accountable um, if they aren't um, making the staff or helping uh, to facilitate that type of environment. And, yeah. I, and I also believe that I'm sorry. One other one other thing that I actually I believe is really important is that when the organization does well, you know the physicians and the organization are rewarded for that. But you have to reward the team as well. So I think that it's important to make sure that they're rewarded in the you know if 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 the if the performance warrants it, there should be bonus potential for the staff as well so that they're engaged as well. That's a really great point. And I think, you know, making sure that leaders have understanding and are all creating that kind of environment that you described, you know, really the team player um, and making sure that employees know they're valued and understand, 
you know, what the organization's all about and are really engaged in it makes for a, a huge difference um, in the whole work experience. So Kim, thank you so much for your thoughts today. This has been a really valuable discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate it.